0: Hi, my name is Rick, the founder of Real People USA and Real People USA. We do three things. We like to talk about entrepreneurship, small business ownership. The second thing that we talk about is how to help Republican candidates boost their campaigns through podcasting and through our five point platform. And the third item at Real People USA we do is that we talk about issues Uh, concerning real people, you know, in real situations. So my guest today is a returning guest. His name is Ruben Young. He's a District 23 Florida candidate running for Congress, and he's running against uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. And he does have a primary opponent by the name of Carla Spalding. So uh, we're doing this podcast episode today just to talk about you know, three different topics. One is the ups and downs of life. The second we will talk about is is uh, the the website FEC.gov, which is the site that shows how much money candidates raise. And the big question is, what do they do with this money? And the third topic we will talk about is, you know, Broward date or Broward Miami date and and just the the struggles that Republican candidates have trying to, you know, weave their way through the maze of obstacles that kind of look like they're set up just for Republicans.
1: Hey, how you doing, Rick? Rick, I really appreciate the introduction. Uh, I always like to give a formal introduction for myself, just for the record. My name is Ruben Young. I am a congressional candidate running against Debbie Washington Schultz. Uh, in 2022, I'm running the uh, for the calls and not the calls because we know now that there's a lot of thing that goes on in elections, and I'm certainly one who likes to take the opportunity to analyze the problem and to see if there's a resolution or solution uh, to our problem. And I think I've come up with some solutions. But I wait until you ask me those questions. But again, I want to thank him and, uh, for allowing me to come back on uh, your program. I really enjoy interviewing with you. I really enjoy the conversations that we have when I come on your show. Very intellectual type conversations, very thought-provoking conversations. And I I enjoy that uh, interview when I have opportunities opportunity to speak with you.
0: All right, Mr. Young. Well, I tell you what, man. The first thing I want to talk about is... You have a very exciting start for your campaign. Now, people may say, "Oh, I, that must means he's raised hundreds of thousands of dollars." But I think listeners might appreciate if you talk about uh, how you got to where you are, and with this, with this, uh, getting these petitions signed, and some of the uh, the, the, the the peaks and valleys you had with that. And then we could talk about just in life in general. You know, how do you got how do you got to this point since you were like 20 years old to where you are now? I think you're 60. So take it away, Mr. Reuben Young.
1: Oh, OK. Well, let me see where I want to start. Uh, the conversation that I want to share with the listening audience of is where I am right now and what makes me do the things that I do because of the fact that I'm now running for Congress. But, you know, this is not my first election. I ran uh, my first election when I was uh, 28 years old. I uh, used to work for the uh, clerk of court under the uh, honorable Richard P. Brinker, And that's where I had my first case of running for political office because I've always believed in service. I've always believed in public service. But now I'm finding out, Rick, that uh, politics is now big business and that you have people uh, betting on uh, Candidates are betting on those who they think will win or lose, like they're like they are at, at the racetrack, like this, like they're betting, like they're betting on horses. And they don't really care which candidate wins. They uh, now they have their money spread around. They they have their money on several different horse races. If if you if you appreciate the metaphor, they have their uh, their money spread about. Several other candidates and hoping that one of them come in uh, that would uh, bring some benefit to them and their pockets. So this is why we are having the situation that we are having in trying to get candidates uh, in office, especially Republican candidates in office, because of the money that's involved. You have candidates, uh, they raise money. In my campaign, I'm a grassroots person. Uh, I'm in this, uh, in it because I'm, I'm in it for the real reason, I'm in it for the right reason. I'm in it because I think enough is enough. And there's now time to have somebody that will go to a, go to a, a place to go into a, a position that's for the people, by the people, all the people. Somebody that will go in there uh, and fight the good fight, of, uh, fight of faith. And this is who I am because my campaign has raised about three thousand dollars. But I don't think that money, money wins election. I think hard work wins election. Now we do have, like I said, candidates that raise a whole lot of money. And they really don't have to account for the money. They really don't have to spend all the money on their campaign. They bring in a whole lot of money. But but when you look at uh, their reports, like you said, if you go to the FEC and you look at their reporting, And you'll see that their money is all over the place. Their their money is not placed in what campaign funds are supposed to be raised for, Rick. Uh, Campaign funds are supposed to be raised to get the message out. But often you you don't see that in a lot of the reporting. uh, I think in FEC.com when you're searching and researching how candidates are utilizing the funds. And that's why I always run out of my own pocket. Because I don't want anyone to ever say that I'm raising money to live on. Like I know a lot of candidates are doing, they're in these races. They're in these races to, to raise money so they can live. And we understand that the economy, the economy may not be as well. So uh, you, you have a lot of creativity out there when it comes to campaigns, donations, uh, raising money from donors and don't have to give an account of how you're spending the donor's money. And I think that is wrong, but with my campaign. My campaign is a boots on the ground campaign. My campaign is in your face campaign. My campaign is a campaign that's in it for the cause and not because I have to get paid. Cause I don't think that's what a, a public service okay, but is but let now. me
0: let me ask you a quick question for a second. Okay, so what you are implying Let's say, for instance, if I raise, let's say, several hundred thousand dollars, can I use three or four thousand dollars of that money per month to pay my house payment?
1: Well, that's a very good question. I have a report. And let's go back to last year. We had Carla Spalding. She raised a whole lot of money. I mean, she raised tons of money, especially in a primary, in the 2020 primary. She spent a lot of money. She raised a lot of money. A lot of the money that she raised came from outside donors. They didn't come from within the district or within the uh, area that she's supposed to be representing, which is Congressional District 23. She raised a whole lot of money. And at the end of the day, uh, she spent a lot of thousands, $100,000 to get 12,000 votes, 12,751 votes in a primary election now when you uh, have the ability to raise that kind of money rick then you need to be uh, uh, able to account for how you're utilizing the money so yes a lot of the candidates they're in these races they raise money so they can make sure they, their cardinals are paid make make sure that their mortgages are paid make sure that their, their utilities and any other personal expenses are paid rick so, the youth so, thing, so they take advantage of that. So,
0: project. so just for the record, that I mean that's all legal. So that I means that's totally legal for some for people to do that. So you're not saying that people that run for office are doing something illegal. You're basically saying that uh, that sometimes the campaign donation money uh, does not necessarily go to uh, 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 building the, the the campaign or or growing the campaign.
1: Well, according to FEC, FEC says that uh, campaign money uh, should not be uh, used for the purpose of a non campaign, on a non campaign expenditure. Uh, And I think FEC has certain uh, restrictions on how campaign money should be utilized. But oftentimes you have candidates uh, who are in these races, I don't know if they're working. With the uh, their, uh, their counterparts or working with other uh, opponents in the race to, to keep other opponents out of the race but yet a lot of that, a lot of the, the, the expenditures are questionable because i know a lot of those expenditures and I have to look into it a little bit more just to get get you a concrete uh, information based on, on looking, at it, uh, from, at snapshot, looking at it from a snapshot looking at from a snapshot. It appears that a lot of that money is not legally used on uh, for the purpose of campaigning. I mean, you know, uh, I don't think that the I don't think the FEC rules and regulation allow you uh, to uh, use campaign money to pay for mortgages. Now, instead of the same as, as a small business, and there's there there are some expenditures that come with small businesses, but I don't think that uh, paying your house mortgage payment is one of those expenditures that that, that falls on the FEC rules and regulations and this is what i'm saying so oftentimes, especially after a campaign is over you know in the state elections or county elections when the campaign is over you find some non-profit organization to donate the money to but in this instance in their elections they keep the money after the election. They don't have to, they don't have to uh, give it to some charitable organization, some nonprofit organization. Uh, they can keep that money. They can hold to that money. They can keep that money uh, in a, uh, in their account for the purpose of uh, uh, going into another campaign or to live on. I've seen reports where you had a candidate that ran in 2020 and when the election was over you could see the money trail. You can see how uh, the rags uh, rag to riches uh, started taking place in that candidate's life because they were able to buy cars, they were able to buy land, they were able to create more business opportunities for themselves. And this has been a, a continuous and consistent pattern of a lot of the candidates that's been running. And this is why we have not yet been able to put a, a, uh, a, a Republican in position. Or in a, uh, in political office because it's now uh, politics have now become big business and this is what we have to fix moving forward.
0: Okay, well I tell you what, so I mean that's uh, interesting. I think uh, listeners may be interested to know about their congressional candidate. And so the website is fec.gov, and if you want to check and see how much money your candidate has raised, and I think uh, when I went to it and saw it. You know, I saw a lot of interesting things about uh, you know, expenditures or things that were paid for, but uh, I'm not sure if the money was spent on those particular marketing items, because you would think if, if $5,000 was expensed on some type of marketing campaign, that you would see the marketing in your community. I mean, you would see the, the billboard, you would see mailers, you would see uh, your name on, on, on bus stops, on the benches. But, you know, for listeners, I'm talking about across the country, not just in your local race, because what I've seen in the last year is what I call the uh, career politician or the career, the career candidate. That's what I want to say, where they lose, they they make a lot of money, they live off it, they they run again, they lose, they, they make a lot of money, they lose and they continuously lose because I did not know that this was a an opportunity to just grow your bank account. So, but here's the next question I have for you. T- tell our listeners about your petition signing, because I, I think that's a, a great story.
1: Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm a hustler. I'm am oh, 100% uh, in this to win it. And I decided that running on a petition, I can get out here without having to be... Uh, to get a whole lot of the donors' money, and uh, and and not do the things I'm supposed to do as a candidate. But I want to prove and show the donors and show the voters that I am so committed that I would run, uh, I would run out of my pocket with limited limited money, and I would get out here and get my name on a ballot by petition because the state requires here in the state of Florida in order to get done, when you're running for office as of a congressional candidate. Uh, you still have to follow the state rules and regulations, although the Constitution doesn't, doesn't require a congressional candidate to run uh, and pay a fee. But because of the fact that a lot of these seats are in state and the state set uh, these requirements for uh, to get on their ballot in order to get on a state ballot for con- con- uh, Congress. You have to pay about ten thousand four hundred and forty dollars, which you know. I mean, I'm quite sure that it, it, you know if, if if I knew a lot of the donors out there and they knew me and they felt uh, comfortable with the person like myself, the, the guy in the race uh, for uh, Congress, one of the highest offices that you can uh, you can re- get into. But I want to prove to the donors, so I've been out here going to various places with a, a candidate petition and i'm actually out there talking to people i'm actually out there asking people for the opportunity to get on this ballot so i can i can run and compete so i can win this time and not next time and i and 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 we can finally and successfully dethrone debbie washington show so i'm out there and it allows me because i'm out here that allows me to talk to the people it pretty much forces me to find what the concerns are of the, of, the, of, the, of the voters, what the concerns are of the district. It allowed me to go different uh, places because now we're in uh, reinforcement where they're redrawing the congressional lines. And it allowed me to go to states. It allowed me to go throughout the state, the various counties within the state, Sarasota, Orlando, Jupiter, you know, you name it, I've gone there. And I've gone there. And I met people and I talked to people and I, and in that process of actually talking to people because uh, one candidate ran, I think, last year. And all that candidate did was put billboards all around the place. And you can't win elections like that. You have to get out there. You have to shake the hand. You have to engage. You have to talk to the people. You have to kiss the babies. You have to do what's required. So people will have a good sense that you care, that you care enough about them, that when you get into this position, this congressional position, you will be their voice. You'll be their advocate. You'll be somebody who will put good legislation on the books. And this is why I'm showing the voters my commitment to this process, why I'm running on a petition. Going through the good time and the bad time. Going through people that take that that when you turn your back, you find petitions missing. And mm. then you have to get out there and work a little harder to get those petitions back. I one I went to one event and and I had my bag somewhere written, And I was out there collecting signatures. And when I got back to my bag, 104 petitions were missing. Rick, 104 petitions. I had spent uh, all day in Sarasota pretty much at a rally, and I had to come back home to the district, and I had to start working harder to regain those 104 petitions because I'm doing everything I can. I didn't know the amount of you no know, mischief, m- mischief in this in these elections. I didn't know that people would do those dishonorable things in these kind of elections. But you know what, Rick? I'm tough enough. I understand that's the fleas that goes with the dog. So <laughs> my petition running, my running the petition, going various places. I've got now gotten to a place now, Rick. I have about. For 1,455 petitions, the state only requires 1,186 because we are in a reapportionment. The state requires 1,186 petitions to get on this ballot because of the reapportionment. So I'm in a position now, I'm that close to hitting the target. I'm that close to getting my name on the Trump petition, but it was not easy. I started my petition gathering in March. And now we're in June in the month of going to August and I'm now sitting at a point where I feel comfortable. But I can't ease up because sometimes the petitions, people uh, give you information that's not correct information. And they give you uh, the wrong birth date. and they give you uh, uh, petitions without signatures on them. So you have to get out there and work twice as hard in order to achieve your objective. Because this is my dream this is my dream, so I have to take the leadership role in making sure that my dream is fulfilled. So I, I, I thank God that he selected me at this time, this hour, this moment to run for this seat so we can bring relief to the people this time and not next time, because I'm in it to win it.
0: Hey, so I was just thinking, you know, I know some of the people that you're running against in the, in the general and the primary, and I think, I think you should put some billboards up, so I think you look better. Then, uh then Debbie Wasserman Schultz and Carlos Spalding. Well, how come you haven't put up any billboards? Because you look better. I mean, what do you think?
1: <laughs> well, no, uh, Rick, I, I normally, like, I mean, I, I, uh, when you mention Carlos, you know, Carlos, she's cute and she's nice. I, I'm not in the race to be nice. I, I, know, I normally refer to myself as a frog sitting on the pole. You know, I don't. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't go around harboring over lists because sometimes looks can be deceiving. You know, sometimes that what, what may look like gold may not be gold. You know, and my heart is pure as gold because I'm in this race for the right reason. I've lived in in Dade County for a great number of years. I've seen a lot of the communities, especially the inner city communities, overlooked. I've seen business uh, businesses, small business owners. I've seen where children aren't receiving the type of quality education that they need and deserve. And I know that there's a lot of communities out there that don't feel safe and secure. And as a congressional representative, that would be my undertaking. My job would be to ensure that elections are protected. My job would be to ensure that we support and defend the Constitution, the unadulterated Constitution of these United States and vehemently protect and defend it with, with all our muster. So I've lived it all my life. So I believe that I'm in it for the, for the right reasons. And because of the, what what I believe that I'm in it for the right reason, money is not anything that I'm looking at. I know you need money to win elections. And I know that a lot of people when they look at folks and say, oh, they look so pretty and they have nice uh, eyes, nice hair, and then they look, look at me and say, look at that little frog sitting there on his log, but I may be the <laughs> one, I may be the one for the job, I may be the one that that wants the job because I want to serve people, I may be the one that believes in public service, I may be the one that will treat the person with respect, will treat somebody with dignity, I may be the one that will go out of my way to help any and everybody, I mean, that's, that's, my, that's my life. So I may be the one, but sometimes we look at we we take something and we judge it, and we look at it uh, in a in a way Rick, that we may be missing an opportunity because it may not shine or it may not glitter, it may not look like gold, but but but, but we may o- overlook an opportunity because that may be the the diamond in the rough, but we'll never know because we never give that opportunity, we never give that that sprawl a chance. To be kissed by a princess and turn into a prince. So th- that's where that's my life story. That's why I work as hard as I do, Rick. I work doubly hard. I mean, I work pretty much 24/7 trying to serve the people of this, of this district as a candidate. I've taken stands now, so I built a lot of friendships, and I hope these friendships come out for me in the primary, and uh, you know, and give me an opportunity to move into the general election.
0: Well, I tell you what—you have a, a very unique story, and uh, I know that you said that you know life has been good recently. But you also said that uh, there have been some some, some low moments in Ruben Young's life. So do you want do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about that?
1: Well, you know, we, I mean, I mean, there have been a lot of low moments in my life. At one, one point in the time, I lived uh, homeless as a homeless man. And um, I had a job making about sixty-five thousand dollars a year. I used to be a, a union representative. I fought for people's jobs. I fought to protect their, their incomes. I, I I I did a lot of uh, defending and advocating and standing up. You know, um, I served my country as a uh, as a administrative specialist. I worked for the headquarters of the army. And there's been a lot of uh, uh, low points in my life. When I was in the army, my brother got killed. And that took a toll on me. And, and the death of my brother uh, placed me on a path of standing up and fighting for rights of people to make sure that nothing like that happened to uh, any other person. Uh, when I was in union rep, I got terminated from a job because I uh, wore off the advancements of my employer. Uh, you know, uh, and, and, and you wouldn't believe when it comes to uh, people being harassed uh, in, within the workplace and the things that they have to uh, go through in order to keep their jobs, and to keep their income because of the fact that those things like, you know, being terminated without just cause they, they do happen. So those are a low point in my life, and then I end up homeless. Uh, you know, I end up as a homeless veteran. Uh, you know, in, a, in an abandoned building. Uh, but, but I never gave up hope. I never gave up my belief. I never stopped believing that God would rescue me, and take, get, get me out of this the situation, you know, that I was in because it was a new experience for me, uh, you know, having my brother get killed that hurt me so badly because I, we had a, a we had a, a unique relationship where I, I loved him dearly. I never saw him uh, being killed. He was killed by a police officer. And I never saw that. I didn't see that in the cars. when my brother getting killed. His name was uh, Sar- his name was David Young. We used to call him Sergeant David A. Young. He was in Killeen, Texas, when he was shot by a civilian police officer. When he walked, when he went off the base, went into the city, and that was the uh, that was the last time that I saw him, you know, alive when he got killed. Because I was on the phone with him two days prior to his death. I was talking that Sunday, and he was uh, he was uh, killed that uh, Tuesday. So that was quite devastating. But that was, those were moments that made me. Those are moments that began to change me. Those moments started shaping my, started shaping my character, shaping who I am, shaping my belief system, shaping my commitment level uh, to where I want. I don't want that to happen. And I never called for the funding of the police. And um, even when I lost my job with the union, I ended up in the street. You know, I still was kind. What it did, it got me closer to God because I began to go, go to church more. I began to serve my God more. I began to get involved in our Bible studies. And I began to get involved with helping, the, helping my church clean the, uh, clean up the facility. And I did all that on a voluntary basis because I want to get closer to God because heaven is my goal. Getting into heaven is, is, is my mission and this is why I believe that God will smile down on anybody that's fighting to protect the least of these. And this is why I am out here in this election because my goal is to protect the least of these. And at the same time my goal is to try to fix this party. Fix what is gonna have now taken taken over taking over the Republican Party, and we've seen that money and greed and deceit and candidates coming in uh, bamboozling uh, uh, patriots, the bamboozling Republicans, Republicans that care about the process, and you have, the Bible tells us to be aware of wolves and sheep clothing, and i'm not saying that all candidates are doing that but we certainly have enough candidates that's taking advantage of this party and that must stop and this is how we're going to begin to fix this by putting stock gaps, uh, stock gaps in place
0: well i tell you what uh donald trump really exposed what i consider uh he, he pulled the onion skin back on the republican party because i think before donald trump people were just just moseying on down the road, thinking everything was just fine. But when he said there was a a, a deep state and and a swamp, little did we know that, that the swamp was really, really deep and it really exposed some people that we thought were loyal Republicans. And we find out that they are traitors, they are turncoats and they are, some of them, not all of them are bought and paid for. And that has to stop. And I, I, so I'm so glad you're running. I believe uh, of all the people that I've met, you are the most authentic candidate because I see what you're doing. Uh, I mean, you you had this meeting and you, you did this talk with the uh, Republican club out in Tamarack and you didn't know it was a Jewish club. And these folks gave you a standing ovation. So that, yes, made, that, means a, that, was a, that meant a whole lot to you, I bet
1: what yeah, I did because you know one of the things I pride myself on, is uh, I don't see color, I don't see racial boundaries, I see people. When I walk into a room, I go into a room with the intent and purpose in my mind of talking to everybody. I don't care what their background, uh, if, if, if they are uh, citizens, if they are Americans, if they have uh, love for their country, their love for their savior, their love for their God, if they have love or want to do what is right, uh, they have me, I'm there. So when I walked into that, I didn't even know I was in a, a meeting of the uh, the Jewish faith. And when I started, I was sharing with them because I wanted them to get to know me. Because oftentimes people, they misjudge you. Uh, they look at you or they look at a facial expression or they look at a hand movement. And they automatically put you in a, in a category. And, and so I went, I went in that room with the purpose in my mind of letting them get to know me. Letting them get to know me as the candidate. Letting them get to know me as the person that would stand and fight for them. Because one of the things I found in this, on this journey, I found that Debbie Wasserman shows and a lot of the Jewish faith, a lot of the Jewish people here, they only put up with her because they say that she sees right now that uh, that's all they have of someone that will protect their interests. That's all, she's all they have is somebody that will speak for them. And she doesn't even uh, stand up and protect Israel. She don't support Israel. And that's one of the main things that the Jewish uh, believers or the Jewish people want. Somebody that was that was stand up for them and somebody that will stand for Israel, which I do both because when I went to a couple of the rallies, when i was out there in those rallies uh to to, to uh support israel you would not even imagine the, the kind of language and the profanity that was being directed to the, the protesters on the streets all because they're here asking for what they they believe is theirs the land that they believe belongs to their people and the land that was taken and they are asking for the right to be done. And this is how I see it because we've grown up as an African American. I know what racism is. I know what discrimination looks like. I grew up in Homestead, Florida City. I went to Redmond Junior High. I went to South Dade Senior High. So I got a chance up close and personal as a younger man. I know what it feels like to be discriminated against and I know what it feels like to be treated indifferent. And when I saw how These people were treating my Jewish brothers and sisters. I became more committed. So when I went into that meeting, not knowing that I was in a meeting full of Jewish people, but you know what? They want what I want. They love the small business owner. When I laid out my 5 Phone platform, when I told them that I was going to advocate for small business owners due to the fact that small business owners are the engines that run our economy. They are the ones closer to the people in my neighborhood or our neighborhood. And this is why I told them I want to go to Congress and I want to advocate and I want to fight for our small business owners because we know that that fake damage, that fake damage, that COVID-19 virus, we know that it hurt a lot of our small businesses, and it hurt a lot of the stakeholders. And when I told them that I want to give parents and grandparents the opportunity to decide on the education of their children so their children can go up with the, with the kinds of quality education that they deserve, that got a hand clap. And I engaged them, and I asked them in that room, how many is this? How many is that? let me see the hands of the small business owners. Let me see the hands of those that believe in electric security. Let me see the hands of those that believe in protecting this constitution. When we hit those points in that room, that crowd went crazy. Because I identified, I connected, and I believe it's that connection that's going to take me on home. So I was honored to be in that room, uh, Joe Duva. He's the, uh, uh, the uh, president of the Republican Club in King's Point. Uh, we connected well that day, and I believe I walked out there with about, about 50 petitions. And I was happy I got 50 petitions that night, right? 50 petitions from the Jewish people in that community.
0: Right, and I just want to let you know, I think you know that, but I'll let our listeners know that uh, some of the participants, the attendees, in that, uh, that session where you, where you spoke, They emailed you and thanked you for coming, and they wanted to know what else could they do to help out. So uh, I know you will get back to them or I will get back to them to uh, let them know how they can help. Hey, my, my next subject now, you know, I'm located on the West Coast. I'm in California. You know, I always tell people, Ruben, you don't want your state to ever be like California. And uh, here we have an opportunity to recall Gavin Newsom and hopefully elect Larry Elder. Now, when I said I didn't want anybody else's state to ever become like California, I'm hearing from not just you, but Broward, Miami-Dade, in terms of their election process. The election management is is almost like California. Can, can you talk about... Why is the election process or the election management and, and who runs the boards and, and, the, and, the, and the centers is just like California?
1: Well, you, you know, Rick, this is what we Republicans, the Republican Party have to seriously uh, delve into this. We may have to stop our law, law, uh, lawsuits against these local uh, supervisors of elections and these canvassing boards. Uh, and I say this because you know, when I ran for office, my very first time I ran for office was in 1990, 1989, 1990, I was a 28-year-old man, uh, never ran for office before, but I ran for the biggest seat in my midday County because the way my brain operates, I'm always trying to get to the top so I can fix the top, because, you know, in, in, the, in the military, they taught us that orders are handed down, not up, so I, I guess I got that mindset where I go to try to fix the top. But, these local supervisors of elections, right now in Dade County, we have Christina White. And I've filed a number of complaints about the election. Since 1989, 1990, the first time I wrote my very first election dispute was with uh, Attorney General Bob Butterworth. When I knew when I ran, something was wrong with my election, I was in, in the runoff. And uh, the chairman of the Senate was was uh, Commissioner Barbara Carey. And she uh, gave the instruction to put me in third place because the person that was in the race with me was uh, his name was uh, Bill Arthur. He's a former county commissioner and he was a friend. So, this is what got to me leaning on down the road. I found this out through various sources. Uh, so, she put me in third place, put him in second place, and he was allowed to run in the runoff because they didn't want me to make history. Because if I would have got it, uh, if it, it got through the runoff, I'd have been the first African American clerk of court in Miami-Dade County, and history in this county would have been different because there wouldn't be no election cheating. Because the clerk of the court is the is the person that's responsible for our elections, but what they do, they are they come up with these supervisors of elections. And they create these middle men's positions so they can say, Well, it wasn't me. It, it gives them what they call deniability. It gives them the opportunity to deny wrongdoing. So they can say, It wasn't me, but you're still the check and balance person. You're still the person that the state constitution put in charge of these elections since the 1800s. So, Christine and White, they, they in my, in my, uh, it was how I look at it, but my advantage for it. They've been protecting individuals like Debbie, Wasserman and Schultz because they are helped them fix the votes. They, they got these canvassing boards where you have a judge and you have, you have several judges and probably one uh, chairman of the county commission and you have the supervisor of the election. That's like the police policing the police. So, and you know you're not going to get a fair process you know the people voices are not going to be heard when you get all these elected officials who have their best have a vested interest because they also have to run they are also uh uh that name also go on the ballot and yet you have them at, on the cams board says just having a regular citizenry on the cams and board or, uh, or non Political or nonpartisan people on the and board. We have uh, a, a supposed to be in Dade County. The supervisor of election is supposed to be elected. We're supposed to have an opportunity to run for that position, but they, in somehow or another, illegally or led illegally put in the Home Rule Charter, which I think that Home Rule Charters have served their purpose. I think they have served their purpose because they violate. There are people's rights and there's nothing that the state or the federal government can do unless they are in violation of general law. But you have the uh, supervisor here in Miami-Dade County, Christina White, she's appointed. So in that appointment, she don't have to answer to the people. She answers to the commission or she answers to the clerk. But there's no other answering because they, they give something to the charter. Which they circumvented the state constitution because the position is in the state constitution, and they they, they 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 did something by including her position, which is a which she's a state constitutional officer. They made it an appointment, and I don't know who did it. I don't know who voted for that, but it's certainly something that we have to look at. We have to look at it throughout all the states and see. What what do the county resolution or ordinances do they mess with our state constitutions? Because the state constitution has the supremacy. It has supreme rulership over these political subdivisions. They cannot violate even their charters. They cannot violate a state constitution, nor can they violate general law. So we have these canons and boards that are occupied by judges, chief judges, uh, uh, all these elected officials blocking, blocking regular citizens in violation the 13th, the 14th, and the 15th Amendment, violating a person's right to vote, a person's right to choose who they want in office. And this is why I say these supervisor elections. I think that those positions need to be gone. We don't, we don't need no middleman. We go straight from the from the from the precincts straight to the main computer in our state. And therefore, we don't need ballots to stop with the middle person. They get a chance to fix the vote. Once they fix the vote, this is my opinion, once they fix the vote, Rick, and they've done their uploading, then they send it, whatever they fix to the state, and that becomes the the final vote, which a lot of people who should be in office, who are legally elected, they're not in office. Because we got these little men, these supervisors of elections
0: fixing these ballots before they go to Tallahassee, and that—that that sounds like what happened to Donald Trump. <laughs> that sounds like exactly what happened to Donald Trump in you know six to ten states. In fact, what you just described sounds exactly what happens here in California. Perhaps those people took, got their training out here in California. That—that <laughs> that has been happening in California for the last twenty years. And that's why when people say California is a blue state, I say, hell no, it isn't. California is not a blue state, but because they have been cheating so much, it has given people the impression, since we have so many Democrats in office, it gives people the impression that California is a blue state. But it's not. I used to live in San Francisco where there was 55 percent Republicans back in the late 80s, early 90s when I was a club DJ and working there in corporate America. So I I would tell people, don't, don't like, don't try to, please don't accept the fact that when they say your state is blue or your state is purple, no, no, no. There are many hardworking Americans trying to pursue the American dream. And if you're trying to pursue that American dream, you know, especially now with this COVID hoax thing, chances are, you're not going to vote for Democrats. And that's the reason why I believe that they're blocking and that they're playing this middleman, this deceptive, uh, you know, in my opinion, criminal, you know, positions that they have. So, hey, do you have any closing thoughts for this podcast episode? And so I know it's getting kind of late. It's after midnight there in uh, sunny South Florida at night. Well, the,
1: the, the, the only thought right now that I want to put out. Uh, I'm running against David Wasserman Show. I want everybody to check me. I'll go to my website, uh, ryoungforcongress.com. Uh, get in contact with me. You know, volunteer. I mean, we—you can. There's a lot of things you can do. You don't have to actually be in in my state to uh, to assist. If, if, if we are, if we say that we're going to take back the house, then damn it, let's take back the house. Let's get real. Let's get serious. We have candidates out here running, like myself, like others. And we don't receive any support from our party. But yet we are Republicans. And I constantly tell people, Republicans are not Democrats. Republicans are not Democrats. But, but, but when you leave your candidates out, it's because if they don't have money to pay you, which the money can, can come overnight because we had 84 million patriots voting for President Donald Trump. If I got $1, $1 from all these patriots, and go to my website and I got $1 for 84 million pages. I'll be able to run and compete because David Washington shoes can't beat me. She cannot beat me. She cannot campaign me. She cannot outwork me. Everybody know I have a reputation hitting the ground. I'm not a Billboard guy. I'm a man that knocks on doors. I'm a man that goes into the community, pull out flags, stand on street corners. That's the kind of man I am. Collar Falling, she can't outwork me. Putting billboards up, that's not how you win. I have a good possibility. Looking at the numbers, I believe that I can win. But when they count me out, I count myself in. So I'm in it to win it, and I'm asking everybody, go to my website, read about me, help me, and we can take this house seat
0: in 2022. Again, my name is Ruben Young. Thank you very much, Rick. All right, you just heard from Ruben Young. Uh, congressional candidate running for Congress, District 23. He is running against Debbie Wasserman Schultz in the general. And he has a, a primary uh, opponent. Her name is Carla Spalding. And uh, and I tell you, man, you know, the tea leaves are telling me that there are some big things in your future. I know what you're doing. I'm, I'm helping you do it. And I think we're going to we're going to be very uh, successful and victorious. Have a nice night, Thank Ruben. You. Thank you, man. All right, bye-bye.